This episode is brought to you by the Geek Therapy Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can support Geek Therapy and gain access to exclusive content. To become a patron, visit geektherapy.com slash Patreon. Welcome to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. My name is Osoy Cardona with Ali Matu. Yo. And Lauren Keller. What up? Lara. We'll be back next week. What's up, guys? How you doing? Chilling. What y'all want to talk about tonight? I'm going to be laid back this time. I'm going to kind of just go with the flow. I, I feel I've had too many, too much structure the last couple of weeks. It makes me feel uncomfortable, although it'd probably do me some good. I, um, I thought things were pretty chill. I don't know. I don't know. Structure, structure bothers me a little bit. But uh, Well, where do we go then? If it's unstructured, do we just like... Oh, I just talk? wanted to see what would happen if, if I just said, what's up? And ask you guys like total chaos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even the Borg need a queen, Husway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Well, to avoid uh, going down a Bitmoji rabbit hole like we just had before we started in the pre-show. Recording. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> folks. I just discovered Bitmojis like ten minutes ago. So, and the joy that he seems to have found <laughs> along the way is. Uh, it's priceless. Well, Lauren showed us some awesome tricks that I didn't know were possible. This is why there's only a few years between us, but there's like this huge, it feels like a, like a multi-generational gap. What? <laughs> a multi-generational gap? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You okay, like leapfrogged us in, in Bitmoji technology expertise. Yeah, Look. Grandpa Lee's no joke. He, um, <laughs> I worry about him. <laughs> My two favorite grandpas. <laughs> I'm a grandpa too. I'm definitely. Yeah, a grandpa you're too. definitely. You're this. You guys are the same age. So if <laughs> wherever you go, you go together. My favorite uh, story about that is uh, one of my undergrads. Like this is like ten years ago, not even like recently. But one of my undergrad students was like, "Hey, is there like any way other than email that I can reach you? Can I like text you? Because I only use email to reach old people." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, email only for like, old people. I'm the old person in that story, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I've been there too. Yep. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Whew, man. <laughs> <laughs> now let's. Uh, I don't have a main topic for this week, but uh, I, I have an idea of what what we might talk about. So let's just go right into media matters. Media matters. <laughs> media matters is our segment where we talk about media. That matters. It shows, you know, there's media that has important representation, whether it be diversity, different uh, underrepresented groups, mental health, anything that we think is important, especially that we've we've watched recently. So it isn't necessarily something that just is just brand new. For example, you could be catching up on five year old episodes of Steven Universe, and that's okay. We can talk <laughs> about that here. So, uh, Lauren, did you bring anything for for Media Matters? Okay, so um, I have been, this is sort of a two-parter, I I was watching the most recent season of um, Grace and Frankie, Frankie and Grace, whichever direction that goes on Netflix, uh, which is very cute, Um, but when I finished that, I was like, what am I going to watch? I don't want to go to bed yet. And uh, Netflix on their like landing page had a ad for the new season of Queer Eye, and I was like, "Well, I'm going to give that a little hmm. little watch." Um, which I, I remember being younger and watching the original run of the series on on TV every once in a while. I have I've watched four episodes now, and I have cried four times. Wow. <laughs> uh, it is so touching when because. There's one one of the the men in the group, and, and he's there's like the uh, the fashion style guy, and there's the hair and um, skin guy, and there's the design like house guy, and then <laughs> his title is just culture, but he's almost kind of working as like therapist. Because he keeps coming in and saying stuff like, you know, it's really, it's got to come from the inside. And this is not about really the way that you look. This is about how you feel about yourself and how you want to present, like, the goodness that's inside of you out. And, and learning how to be accepting and break down walls. And that being vulnerable isn't a weakness. It's a strength. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. 
and then everybody in the show cries and hugs and it's it's very sweet and it I, I've had a, a rough week and mm. it has been very nice to watch Queer Eye. Do you feel like it, it does something good for in terms of representation or, or anything bad or anything good or so far? Uh, I mean, I'm not a gay man, but uh, so far I feel like they've done a really good job. The the episode I just watched, they uh, did a makeover for another gay man. Usually it's a, a straight guy. Um, but, uh, they, they were talking about, um, how do I want to explain this? Uh, the, the, the guy in this episode was, he, uh, regretted not coming out to his dad before his dad died. And this was like a big issue in his life. And he felt very separated because he was keeping, um, being gay from his stepmother, who he was still very close with, and he felt sort of like he was lying to people because he was closeted and everything. And they all, um, the the five hosts, all shared their coming out stories and how they had all come from different backgrounds and had different expectations of who would be accepting and who would uh, basically abandon them for being gay and, and uh, sort of sharing like you know there there is no right way to be gay. There is no like too gay or not gay enough it's it's you it's who you are and your journey and and you know again sort of uh pounding in the the message of like being vulnerable and being honest is is how you have like a genuine happy life and if you're putting up walls and keeping people away from the real you then then that's like it's bad (laughs) it's bad for you and you're not going to be as happy than if you were open and, and accepting of yourself and let people be accepting of you also. And there's something about having a gay man having that conversation, right? And saying it, mm-hmm. a real one also, not not a fictional character. Yes. It's, it's funny because when we, we talked last week about how a PSA, right, uh, might be better if it's dramatized, mm-hmm. if it's actually a, a fictional story and that has a message. Um, you, you said there was a study, you were doing that for homework. I don't know if that was last week or two weeks ago. There's a lot of value, I think, in in reality TV. There's a book by Stephen Johnson that I really like. It's called Everything Bad is Good for You. And he has a whole chapter on reality TV and how so many people, that is some of the most real emotional interactions that they have with people because these aren't fictional characters that are playing something out. People are being, doesn't matter how it's produced and cut up and, and, and even, um, what's the word, like staged you're still getting real reactions from people most of the time because it's reality TV. And that's kind of the appeal, you know, like he says that a lot of people probably couldn't put their finger on why they love it, but that's, that seems to be the case. And, and I like that idea. I like that theory. I think, I think reality TV is super important. Even if the emotional situations are produced, there are still real emotions that we're seeing on screen. And yeah. I think, Josue, you, what you said here is really important. These are actually actual gay men, not just gay men, uh, or not just men that are playing gay men. Um, I had no idea the show was back. I mean, this was a uh, a real landmark show that f- uh, one of the first shows to really feature, a, re- a first reality TV show to feature gay men. Um I had no idea that Netflix brought it back. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really great. I actually I recommend it. I've really enjoyed the episodes, and they've they've talked about um, various types of of bigotry and and hmm. made some real connections with people they may not have otherwise. It's sort of beautiful. They they said in the introductory episode that the the first queer eye for the straight guy series was about um, building tolerance mm-hmm. for for gay men. And that they wanted this season, this reboot season, to be about acceptance, mm-hmm. not just tolerance. And I thought that that was a really touching message. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, for a lot of Americans, um, Ellen DeGeneres was one of the first um, openly gay people that they got to know on TV. And there's been a lot that's been written about that representation and representation of LGBT characters um on on tv and how much that moved america um in terms of um openness and tolerance and acceptance of gay people um so it's an area where representation has super mattered definitely i had to look this up 
because uh, when you said Queer Eye, I had no idea you were talking about Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I had no idea they called it Queer Eye and not Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Well, I like they're sort of just doing like QE. They they don't even say Queer Eye super frequently. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's nice. I, I like I like the show. And the yeah. the hosts are all wonderful, and they say like super nice things to people. <laughs> um, even when they're being kind of jerks, like I think it was the first episode, the guy that they were with said something about like, oh, he talked about his his uh, partner or or husband, and he's like, oh, well, which which one of you wears the pants? And they were like, let's unbox that. Like, why was that the thing that you thought? And you're not alone. But let's think about like why that is. And they got into a whole conversation mm. about it. And by the end, he's all like, I've never had friends like you. I've never felt, you know, so supported. And, and you've changed the way that, I, you know, I think about other people. And I was just like, oh, you're making good, good things in the world. And it's beautiful. Wow. Damn, that's good. Yeah, really media matters, yo. <laughs> Even TV shows about like fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you said at the beginning that you you've cried uh, on every episode, so it sounds like this is us for me. Um, I hope you ever <laughs> watched that show, but I I have cried every single episode without fail. Um, I remember there was an episode once that I saw one day, and then the next day my girlfriend was watching it, and I just sat like I, I walked by sat down to watch it and within three minutes I was crying again there's something about that show and I've been thinking a lot about why that show makes me and so many other people cry like that's the that's kind of the the joke about the show um like the cast itself is like always trolling people online about how much they're gonna cry it's incredible <laughs> uh it's 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 really really good and then there was actually some some write-ups this week about that. Like, wh- what is it about the show? Uh, but uh, so th- there was one episode uh, very recently that that I saw. It's called The Fifth Wheel, and they had this uh, family therapy session in it hmm. that was incredible. And so first let me say a few things about the therapist. The therapist was cold. She was an older white woman, like maybe I'd say 60. Is She's about 60. She might be late 50s, but I'm pretty sure she's like 60, maybe in early 60s. And but she was cold. But I think I think she did a good job. Like, I think she was good at her job, which was uh, refreshing to see. But she was still very off putting. So it was funny because I asked my sister what she thought of her. She's like, oh, I hated that woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, man, but I think I think she did pretty well handling the situation. And so in in the show, there's this character who ends up in rehab. And so after a month of rehab, the whole family came by and then they had the immediate family sit down and, and have a, a family therapy session. It was incredible because we, this is a family that we've known now for a season and a half. And throughout the series, you see them at different stages of their life continuously. Like one episode, you see them as teenagers. The next episode, you see them when they're kids. Then you see them when they're adults. This is constant. So we have like we see their family, their family dynamics playing out every single week. And it's a family where like the the premise of the of, of the show is or the, the, the setup really is this um, couple they have. Um, they're about to have triplets. They lose one of the babies during childbirth, but then there's another baby at the hospital that's ready, that's uh, been abandoned. And so they pick up the the baby that was abandoned as their third child, and they leave the hospital anyway with their kids, three kids, and the third kid, um, he's black. So they're there's a lot of race discussion and how other people react to the family and and what their experience is like. But there's also addiction in the family. Like there's a there's a lot of of stuff. It's very real, all the, all the topics that they, they cover. and I mean, you can't just pick up a baby, right? No, no, I no, mean, no, that no. part's not real. You can't just go, I'm going to take this one instead. You have to, you, ha- you have to, you have to watch the show. Okay. They, 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 they literally go through the process of, like, we see them going to court fighting for custody of the baby. Okay, okay. And all I these just, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. you're short There are version. social workers involved. <laughs> There's all this stuff. I said it's the setup of the series. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? your, your abbreviated version, my brain was like, that's not how babies, you can't just take them. That's how babies work. You know, we that's- also, <laughs> to the listeners, we record this Friday evening. 
just as a heads up, so we might not be on our, uh, we might not be the best at remembering facts. I've noticed this as I re-listen to our past episodes, and I find myself misquoting myself and the facts that I know <laughs> about myself. <laughs> and yet, my facts about uh, This Is Us were on point. They're on point. Like to, They're yeah. on point, but we might be <clears throat> slow to pick them up. <laughs> Possibly. But Lauren, you are right. You can't just pick up a baby and be like, well, we wanted three anyway. That's not the way it works. The show has handled this. <laughs> It's not a buy okay. two, get one free kind of deal. Okay, good. Good, good catch. Um, has nothing to do with <laughs> this particular episode and the family therapy. But, uh, but, but I tell you that about the family. So you see that it's a, it's a complex family. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. And the family therapy session happens when they're all adults. And they're referring to things that we've seen happen when they're kids. Mm. Anyway, it was an incredible, like I've never seen, actually, now the more that I think about it, the more, the more I want to study <laughs> this particular episode again, hmm. because so many times in in therapy, I mean, you just take what the client is saying. That that's it. Like we we have no other information except what they're telling us. Sometimes we have information that other people in the room have, and then when you're talking about couples or families, they often have very very different versions of of what happened, and you can't. You can't like agree with one or the other, you know, you don't have the data to back it up. But in this case, we're seeing them talk about things that we've actually seen on the show. We've actually seen it happen. Um, it was, it was so interesting to, to see that play out. And then I had my own opinions about how, ev- how everybody in the room felt. Anyway, it's, it's going to be something that I'm going to use in the future to talk about, um, family therapy and, and I, I'm curious uh, what other, like, I'm, I'm curious what Lara would think. I'm curious what um, a few other MFTs I know, people who do family therapy, think about that episode, especially if they're fans of the show and how they see it. Because I think that all in all, it's a good representation of of therapy, of, of what a family therapy session might look like. Let's put it that way. Because this isn't a representation of like, well, you know, they all had a problem and they left and it was fixed. That's not what it was at all. On the contrary, this just like brought up all sorts of stuff, which is also a part of a family therapy, therapy in general. What's pretty awesome. I, I've seen episodes of um, of This Is Us here and there. Um, it's not a show that I watch regularly, but it is a show I try to catch when I can with my wife. And it's it's this is a really popular show um, in its second season, right? Hosway, it's it's two seasons in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to see they had this lead up to an episode, and they gave it after the Super Bowl. Yeah, and right. During the after show uh, for the Super Bowl, they had a timer for the next episode of This Is Us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that in such a popular show, they're featuring a whole episode on family therapy. Um, that's awesome to see. I, I feel very similar about uh, Rick and Morty, which feature in its last season um, in the Pickle Rick Pickle episode. Rick. Pickle Rick! Um, in that episode, how they featured family therapy and um, actually, I, I think, did it in a really interesting way. So it's great to see these examples of, of treatment coming up and especially so going on with what we were talking about last week, how mental health is so individual biased and we really try to talk about relationships and connection to other people to see family therapy, which is all about um, the connections with the family and how the whole family as a whole unit works. That's awesome to hear that. My favorite negative uh, representation of family therapy is from GTA 5. What? There's, <laughs> what? there's family therapy in GTA 5? So there's a therapist. Uh, I forgot his I forgot his last name. Oh, like Dr. Friedland, is it? Maybe? Uh, anyway, there's a therapist that you go to as a... You play as three different characters in GTA 5. Um... And and as one of them, as Michael, you go, you go, you start seeing a therapist, and the therapist he is the absolute worst. He is wonderful. Like he literally <laughs> charges you more every single time you go, and you have to pay. So you what? you get taken more and more money out of your account every single time you see him, and the the number goes up. So at the end, and you have this family throughout the movie. You have your wife, and you have a son and a, and a daughter. And by the end of it, things have gotten so crazy, and you're in the car, and the kid is actually like, "No, we definitely need family therapy." They're talking about this, and they're they're going to the therapist, and there's a car chase with the therapist at the end. It is, it is, it is the worst representation of mental health treatment ever. 
wait, Josue, you're telling me you've never raced a therapist? No, I've raced my clients, but I've never raced my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a car chase. A car chase is not a race. It's 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 different. I, oh, I see. I, very, very different. I am a therapist now, and I was involved in a car chase when I was in high school. Does that I count? Think that you can't counts. connect the two. No, no I think that no. counts. I'm counting nope. it. Nope, I, but, I'm not. You know, I mean, time is all wibbly wobbly. So does it matter that it happened at different points in my life? I don't, I don't think so. Yep. I think yep. it counts. Nope. Nope. Uh, but I mean, okay, like you can't take any role seriously in that game, right? I mean, no, 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 no. And and I mean, I mean, the game. One of the things that I I like that I, I like a lot of things about GTA Five. Um, one of them is that it does have this this subject matter, which is this idea of going to a therapist to to be better, to deal with the stress of your life, which happens to be. Mm kind of getting involved in like criminal activity and having a very very difficult family and a new friend that is not not healthy to be it's not healthy to be around him at all and and the idea that he he's he wants to go to the, the therapist he wants to get better and the therapist is out for himself like by the end of it he has a radio show and you can hear him so gta 5 is great after the car chase afterwards he gets his own show on the radio and you can hear him in the car as you're driving, GTA 5 is great. And then at the end of the game, when you finish the game, it gives you a sort of personality assessment based on all of your actions in the game. Hmm. And like, it's, it's horrible, but it's fun. And I think it's a, it's a really good conversation starter. Like that, that doesn't work at all, but, but let's have a conversation about it. I like that, that it, it brings these things up throughout the game. Wow. There's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. GTA 5 was not on my list. <laughs> I'm glad I brought it up. Uh, <laughs> Ali, what do you have? Uh, well, this was a big week for sports. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I had this really important note about the This Is Us thing, and I forgot to mention it. Go for um, it. There was actually one of the characters actually said after th- um, the family therapy, he said, I wish our life was recorded like Boyhood, like the movie Boyhood. Hmm. And when one of us was saying what we were experiencing, someone could just say, hey, let's go to the tape so we could review it. And and uh, I, f- I forgot to bring that up, but that's what had me thinking about the fact that we we don't have that information. When when we go to therapy for ourselves, we don't have, you know, a life log uh, available and uh, not yet. Anyway, we don't have we don't have the technology, but they make that joke and, but it's sincere, right? Like I wish that I could see what happened so I could see why you see it the way you do, because I only see it the way I see it. But then again, the irony being that we actually saw a lot of what they're talking about because we actually have seen their life documented throughout the show. Well, and and a lot of times when I, when I hear that in, um, when I'm doing therapy, it's often in the context of, uh, trying to figure out quote, who was right. And what the reality is, is closer to what you said, Josue, is trying to understand things from other people's perspectives, because there's no one is ever really right. There's always different perspectives on this. And we're trying to promote understanding between people. Um, I mean, this is why the the entire history of you and the third episode of the first season of Black Mirror is one of my favorite things ever, because everybody gets to record everything. And... Um, in, in mental health treatment, there's this, uh, idea of behavior imaging and you can like set up a camera and a device at your home at a, at a place where there's like a problematic behavior with your kids or something like that. And you can, um, record what's there. So then you can bring it to a behavior specialist for analysis, or you can bring it into a family therapy session. There's different ways to use it. This is expensive stuff. This is something that I wanted to use in my practice, but, uh, at the time I, I couldn't justify the cost. But it's something that's out there. And while I, I agree that part of it is like people just want to know who's right, there's also like there still is that component of like, well, but what what actually happened? What really happened? And what if we could right. see what happened? Right. How would I see it now versus like how would I react to it and how would I what could I learn from that experience and what could we if we could see it more clearly? 
we do in our in our clinic we do a lot of uh, social anxiety group therapy and um, we do a lot of exposures which involve having helping people to experience the situations that are very difficult for them and one of the exposures that I often do with our groups is uh, videotaped exposure where part of the goal is to help them to interact with other people but we video record it which adds to the exposure and then we watch it which adds to the exposure. Watching yourself is and hearing yourself is often a difficult part of that whole experience. And then we give feedback to each other, the group members as well as myself. And it's about trying to understand how you actually are coming across and the real privilege of therapy of being able to hear from other people about what that experience is like so you can um, grow and improve and change and and um, face those situations again in a new way. Um, it's, it's really cool when technology is able to get you a better understanding of who you are and how you're coming across. Yeah, yeah. Getting all that memory stuff, love it. Yeah, and that, and that episode, um, just to wrap up for real this time, <laughs> the episode also deals with eating disorders and addiction, and it, it's got, it touches a lot of stuff. It's, it's really, really good. Okay, now I'm done with uh, my part. So I this was a big week for sports. We had the Super Bowl that happened uh, just about a week ago. And right now, as we are recording this, the opening ceremony of the Olympics are being aired in the United States. They already happened like 12 hours ago, but NBC here in the United States is doing a delayed broadcast of it to show it during primetime hours. But um, this has me thinking a lot about uh, the role that sports have played in my life and, and the place where sports are right now, watching professional sports, that is. And I was thinking a lot about how the Super Bowl is, for many people, an opportunity for um, families to come together, for friends to come together. It's um, a situation where people who might never even watch a football game all year, they do gather around to have this shared experience. And how traditionally the Super Bowl has tried to offer something for everyone. There's the sports game, of course, but there's also the commercials. There's a halftime show. There's the opening act. There's all of that sort of stuff. And for me, as a child, this was one of the days I look forward to the most. My family, uh, we grew up in uh, the 80s and 90s in Northern California, and we were. Um, it was very easy back then to be a San Francisco 49ers fan, and we were big 49ers fans. And I would always love Sunday because it, it meant for at least four or five hours, my entire family was going to be gathered together around um, a, a shared cause, and we would be celebrating together. We would be commiserating a loss together as we watched the 49ers. And then regardless of whatever happens in, um, in the whole season, uh, we had the whole Super Bowl to look forward to, which was almost like a, a big holiday to celebrate all this. And... Um, we were talking in our Slack a little bit about who's watching the game, who isn't. And for me, it's actually, um, it's hard for me to watch the Super Bowl, which I know that was a little bit of the theme in this week's uh, This Is Us, too, because um, the Super Bowl is a tragic day for that family, without giving any spoilers there. Um, but for me, at, when I went to college and moved away from my family, uh, the Super Bowl games didn't really play out the way it did. I didn't have my family to watch with. I just kind of stopped watching football. And now it's this very distant thing from my life. And I don't really, I watched the Super Bowl, but my family wasn't there. I mean, I'm living here with my wife and my daughter, but she's not into football at all. And my daughter's only six months old. She's kind of just into like, her eating her foot right now and like <laughs> jangly keys and jangly keys that kind of summarizes it so for me it's um i don't know it's a little a little sad to watch uh the the nfl and uh, the super bowl and also there's all the controversy about about concussions and also about everything that um has happened with colin kaepernick and, and super bowl so for or for nfl um the nfl i mean so for me it's it's a very mixed thing, but I also recognize that it's, for a lot of other people, an opportunity to come together and, and just to celebrate and enjoy something together. So this 
had me wondering what, if any, role sports have played in all of your lives watching professional sports. Has it been something that's brought you together? That's something that I love about the Olympics, this whole idea of the world coming together. Um, and we're seeing this right now with um, North and South Korea com- um, entering the Olympic ceremony as as one team. I, I, th- I think it's kind of amazing what sports can do how similar sports are to uh, uh, how similar watching professional sports are to geek culture. I know Josue, that's something you talk about a lot on the show. So is this sort of wondering what all of your experiences are with this kind of stuff. And not only is it bringing the world together, but within each country, it brings the country together and then by mm-hmm. location, and then you can keep zooming in and then it brings your city together, right? All, all right. 49ers fans, Presumably, right? Like they have some affinity for not just the team, but for the city, right? For, um, for better or w- and worse. Th- yeah. There's there's research <laughs> on how winning uh, a big game can boost the mental health of a city and also vice versa, how it can um, depress the mental health of a community as well. But you're absolutely right. It You can zoom in, you know, to the little league um, game that's happening or, mm-hmm. you, you know, your child's uh, uh, game at school. And there's there's so many levels you can zoom in there or zoom out. And it's a shared experience, right? Mm-hmm. This group of people are sharing something. All of a sudden we have something in common. Right? A conversation you and I have had in the past is about what, what brings people together for comic book conventions, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. gaming conventions. And I've always argued that it's a love of the things that are there. Yes. Right? And, and I think that like bringing people who love the game, whatever game it is, coming together, like that, that's a beautiful thing. Yes. <laughs> you know? And and I don't watch sports at all. Kind of for the same reason I, I barely watch reality TV. It's like I, I've, I love to watch fiction <laughs> and all sorts of other stuff. But when I watch uh, other people, I feel like I'm watching other people living their lives. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I like watching um, examples of like, like uh, highlight reels and things like that of like, incredible physical feats and, and, and mm. amazing uh, moments and things like that. But like sitting down for two or three hours to watch a game, I, I don't usually do anymore. But that has a lot to do with the fact that my family is, has never really been into any sports, really. Mm. And so that's not something that my family is about at all. We've never had jerseys together. You know, when I was a kid, I liked Michael Jordan like everybody liked Michael Jordan. Right. I went to a New Jersey Nets game in New Jersey in full uh, Chicago Bulls gear and so did <laughs> half the kids in that stadium, right? Because that's just, that was a different time. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, that, that was something I shared with my friends, but it was never something that I shared with my family. Lauren, what about you? Has, has professional sports, have they played a role in your life at all? Uh, no, no. I've never been a, a particularly sport oriented person um nobody in my immediate family really watched any professional sports but i I mean i do remember watching the olympics um when i was little in the summer uh, and then also slightly more recently with friends and you know living in an apartment with some friends we'd put that on uh and sort of play our own games um, around it, which I think is maybe the part that I like, is that there are m- multiple levels of play going on <laughs> in professional sports. There are the people who are playing the game, and then there are the people who are, you know, gambling or uh, making drinking games around, you know, whatever they're watching. Um, fantasy sports. Fantasy sports. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, I I watch uh, I watch more esports than I watch actual sports. <laughs> Which are sport? I mean, that's a, such a similar kind of experience, right? Like you, you and I, we could play tennis, or we could watch professional <laughs> tennis, or we, we could play video game tennis, um, and Mario tennis. We could play Mario tennis, yeah. And I think it's the same thing with esports. Wow. Like we could play StarCraft, or we could watch the champions play StarCraft. Yeah, like for me, my family, my dad and I, like action movies are are football, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and. With my mom when I was younger, Star Trek was one of those things, right? That's that's the show that we watched together as a family. That's what oh. brought us together. That was our shared experience, mm-hmm. you know? And and so that's why I always like to make the, the sports parallels because I think the, the sports analogy is very – is more relatable totally. to, to more people. and But it's not a different experience at all. 
Yeah, I mean, wearing your jersey is so much like cosplay. Um, a comic book convention is so like getting together with a bunch of people to watch the game or going to a sporting game itself. Um, uh, doing Playing RPGs or Dungeons & Dragons is so much like fantasy football. And, um, you know, people who get really into sports are also big data geeks who know all the stuff about the teams and the history of it. And uh, yep. I think it's it, it's really interesting. I used to be, after I sort of got out of football, I used to be really down on professional sports. And I am down on the NFL, but I'm not down on professional sports anymore because um, Jonathan Haidt talks, uh, psychologist Jonathan Haidt talks a lot about um, tribal psychology. And he's sort of made this argument in one of his books that this is professional sports are a pretty positive way for us to play out a lot of our tribalism um, in, in a healthy way with the exception of when people drink too much and mob mentality and all that stuff plays out. But for the most part, I think they serve a really healthy role for a lot of people. Um, and they have in my life. I mean, part of the reason why uh, my parents named me Ali is uh, because of Muhammad Ali. He was a little bit of an individual that pushed them towards picking that name. And for me, um, he's always been a role model growing up. And then when I saw him in the Atlanta 1996 opening games as um, the last person to hold the um, the Olympic flame, it was an incredibly moving experience for me um, to see that and to share that with my family. And I know for so many people around the world, sports can play that role. And so, I don't know, it's been a bit of a journey for me to love sports so much and then become distant from them and now have a much more uh, understanding and respect for, for what they do for people. To answer your question, we can't relate. I see that. <laughs> I guess yeah. I, I hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Lara was watching the Super Bowl a little bit. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think Lara, um, I'm pretty sure that Lara, I forgot what team uh, her and her family support and what sport. Oh, man, forget this. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, you, she, all, I'm, you all missed a pretty good Super Bowl. It was an exciting game. I will say that. I watched some of the commercials afterwards. That that was a thing. Did you have any favorites? Were there any that stick stuck out? Um, eh, not really. Right. I don't know. I think I'm maybe not the person to ask. <laughs> I get I get way too hung up on on stuff. I have I have no regrets calling this geek therapy because uh, I think we've we've proven ourselves here. <laughs> um, you know, but it's weird. I used to, I used to play a lot of sports. I, I used to love to play basketball. I used to like to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, I played, I was in like little league baseball when I was a kid. My dad liked baseball. Um, I just, I just stopped liking it. I like started liking other things, mm-hmm. uh, eventually. Uh, I, I did bring some like interesting, I think they're interesting, like little geek connections to kind of the, the Olympic games now. Mm. Um, one was, uh, I think Laura posted this in the Slack, but then Michaela Schifrin, she's a slalom um, Olympic athlete and she had a suit, uh, which is essentially Captain Marvel's um, costume. Yes. Which looked really cool. I I read more about it. It's so cool. She looks like Captain Marvel. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. Um, apparently there's a contract with a company called Spider and Disney. And so they have a few different superhero costumes. Some of them, there's actually more than one person uh, dressed up as uh, Captain Marvel. There's a Captain America uniform and there'll be different ones um, that we'll see either now or in the future um, in different in different uh, sporting events. But it's it was really cool to see that. Um, especially with her getting your movie now and all. I love that bridging of worlds there of yeah, the quote yeah. unquote geek and jock world coming together. And it also yeah. kind of points to like how mainstream a lot of what I grew up believing was so fringe and different um, is actually like so now popular um, and so mainstream. It's really yeah. cool to see that. Yeah. And I had this whole thing I was going to get into, but I, I won't. Maybe we can save this for another day. But it's a, I used to see the Olympics. I, I used to view them in awe because it it allowed me to see different cultures and different parts of the world in a way. Mm-hmm. But I felt that way like back in 96, right. and 98, and 2000. But now with the internet, 
I don't I don't feel the same connection that I do with the Olympics. Yeah. Um, also, in the case of uh, these Olympics, I've been to South Korea, so it's like it, it's not as exotic to me, uh, in a way. Um, I, I will say that um, the Olympic broadcasting in the United States uh, really hasn't kept up with the times. It's all on a time delay. The stories are very America-centric. Watching the Olympic ceremonies, they're very much explaining Asian culture to me. These non-Asian people were explaining Asian culture to me. It feels very dated. And, Josue, I think what you're saying about our ability to interact with uh, media that's created by people in other parts of the world through the internet really just adds to the datedness at which we experience Olympics in the United States. Even just like in 96, I would have gone over to the Britannica and looked up something interesting about a country. Now, now we've got Wikipedia. Like it's, it's, it's a completely different world. So I don't feel that, uh, that disconnect. 96, you were looking at Microsoft (laughs) and Carta, dude. Uh, no, I had a full blown. I had a I had a real Britannica encyclopedia. Uh, oh, I still trusted it more than than my Encarta. I had Encarta though. I did. Oh man, I don't know. I think for me, part of it is is seeing the 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 commercialism mm-hmm. seems is it's like it's not so much a a celebration of all of the cool things that human bodies are capable of and that human teamwork is capable of. And it starts to be more about like who can drink Coca-Cola the fastest. Mm. And that, that sort of bums me out. And I don't know if that's uh, so much because of the internet or if it's just as I have matured as an adult and become more aware of, you know, context. (laughs) Yeah. That's also just part of, broadcasting and 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 media and yeah like you somebody's got to pay for it right this isn't ancient greece (laughs) right there there's (laughs) the world the world works differently now and but but i totally get that like it it kind of it ruins it for you i'd rather see it commercial free and and sponsor free but and i don't know i don't know that it necessarily like ruins it it just it be it i feel it detracts from like the coolest parts of the olympics to focus on the the commercialism, it's it's a very different experience in uh, England, where the BBC, um, which is a taxpayer funded broadcasting system, is commercial free, and uh, through their app you can access any game at any time and watch uh, whatever you want. It's not as much advertising based, and the other broadcast bias in the United States that I hate is it's such a story about peak superhuman people doing peak things, which I think is such a disservice to everyone who's watching it because the the reality of the stories are really amazing stories about people who have struggled, who have learned, who have their doubts, who learn how to face their fears, who have setbacks, who come back again, um, who have last minute jitters. I really think that the human story is so... um, removed for the story of exceptionalism. And I I think that does a disservice to the audience and a lot of little kids watching who might think, well, I'm not good at this thing now. Maybe I can't do it. But um, how how amazing would it be if there's stories about um, the the actual human experience that these people go through? Well, I disagree in that my memories of watching the Olympics were always of those stories that you're talking about. And the only way I got them was through the presentations uh, of the Olympics. Like I would see, you know, like, oh, this person and this is their story. And you would get like this short snippet and and interviews with their family and all sorts of stuff that I that I liked about the Olympics. So I don't know. To me, for me, that was that that was always there. Well, uh, yeah, no, I I think sometimes we do get that. Um, I think the overall picture is about. Talent over practice and hard work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's. We'll have to. I'd have to watch them now again and see see how they're doing this year to, yeah, to, to make a good argument. I used to love to watch the Olympics, though. So the the I had a couple more. Um, just uh, well, a quick thing. Like they are in Korea, so I was looking up Korean superheroes. Mm. Um, and there's really only three that I know of. One is 
brand new as as in like it Marvel agreed to create this character or to co-create this character for a mobile game that exists now. So this character is official, but it's not in any comic books yet, hmm. but it could be <laughs> because it's so it's recognized by Marvel and her name is Luna Snow. She's a K-pop star. Oh, wow. She's got ice powers. It's pretty cool. And then uh, there's Cindy Moon, who is a, also Marvel Comics. She is a Spider-Man-like uh, character known as Silk. And then there's the current uh, Hulk, who is Korean-American also. His name is Abadeus Cho. Those are the only ones I could find. But I thought that would be cool to mention. So are those Korean superheroes or are they Korean-American? My understanding is that they're Korean-American. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cindy Moon definitely is... Actually, no. Cindy Moon is Korean-American. Uh, Luna Snow is a K-pop star, so she's in Korea. She's Korean. And then I believe Amadeus Cho... He may be neither. I'm not sure, but he has... Um, he is considered Korean in the comics. I don't know if he's Korean-American, though. No, I, and I just asked because it it is so different, the experience. And so I think a lot of times companies sort of confuse the two. Um, and they point to representation of one being equal to the representation of other, while they're very different experiences, like being Korean-American is so different from being Korean. But it sounds like there's a mixture here that Marvel is doing. Or these aren't yeah. all Marvel. These are... All three of them are oh, Marvel. Oh, they're all yeah. Marvel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. pretty cool. Way to go, yeah. Marvel. All right, so uh, we're going to go to question queue, but first let's take a quick break. Have you considered joining Geek Therapy on Patreon? Patreon is a membership platform where you can support some of your favorite creators. Starting at just $1 a month, you can gain access to early and exclusive videos, podcasts, and the Geek Therapy Book Club by going to geektherapy.com slash Patreon. For the month of February, the book club will be reading the original Marvel Runaways comic, and at the end of the month, we'll be comparing it to the new Runaways TV series on Hulu for those of you who have watched that. For more information on perks and benefits of becoming a Patreon supporter, visit geektherapy.com slash Patreon. All right, this is a question queue, finally. Question queue. <laughs> we haven't done a question queue in a couple Q-Q. weeks. QQ. Okay, so Jamila asks, what has the response been by clients who are able to go to therapy that, in- that incorporates geek culture? And are people now seeking therapists that incorporate geek culture in therapy? So I'm curious, hmm. Ali, yeah. how, how you would respond to that, to that question if someone asked you. Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking about some recent uh, meetings I've had with, with, uh, new patients, new clients. Um, you know, well, it's something that's always on my mind and a big part of my job as a therapist is to find a way to, to connect what I know, what I do with, um, what other people are passionate about, what they love, what motivates them. And I think that's a big part of, of geek therapy is um, using someone's passions and interests and, and using these stories to um, make a lot of the work of therapy that much more resonant and more powerful and impactful. So I I make a lot of YouTube videos, which you really get a good sense of uh, who I am and what my interests are. And really what you see in those videos is is the kind of therapist I am. There's I, I don't really have too much of a different presence. And I think that's the kind of friend I am. And all, you, what you see is what you get. So I think people, I work in anxiety. That's my area of expertise. People come to me primarily because they they have anxiety. Um, but then a lot of people ask to work with me in our clinic because the because of these interests or our clinic director might recommend me because they think I'm gonna be a good fit with, with this other person because we have some of these similar interests or I can speak to these issues. Um, that being said, at at the same time I also um, work with people who don't have any of these interests and, and I try to find what what their geeky interests are, which sometimes include sports. In terms of seeking out this type of therapist, I, I have um, a few people who either go away for college or grad school or they move or they relocate and they're trying to find someone who does more of this type of work once they've experienced it with me. And that is a hard thing to do, to find other people who might be able to 
have an expertise in obsessive compulsive disorder and also be able to provide this type of context or this type of way of making the treatment more meaningful. So I I will say that once people have experienced it, they definitely want to continue experiencing it. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who have never experienced this type of treatment before and um, might not be seeking it out. So uh, to answer this question, I would say yes. (laughs) (laughs) So something important about... uh everything that you just said is that, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but it is almost impossible for anyone who wants to work with you to actually be your client or your patient. It is almost impossible for anyone who wants to work with me to be my client or patient. Meaning they have to, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be like as broad as possible, right? You need to speak English. You need to live in the New York city area. You need to be able to afford the rates of the location where you work or, be covered by insurance right. or meet a special yeah. requirement. Like, like there are ha- all these- And I need to have availability in my schedule. Yes, all those things. Yeah, yeah. Right. So all of these things um, apply to Ali and they apply to anybody else who, who practices- Absolutely. Who, who, who uh, identifies as a, as a geek therapist. Right. Right. And for years, I've, I've tried a, to create a network, right, so that um, we could- reach a lot of these uh, a lot of these geek therapists i've tried to act as a hub people would reach out to me from around the world like oh like i would love to find a geek therapist near me and it is really really hard yeah. because even when i could find somebody near you it was maybe that person worked at a va hospital maybe that person like again prohibitively expensive or full for the next 6 months yeah. or just a number of things right that there were so many different factors involved and and it's really that's the, that's always been the most frustrating and the and the most sad part of of all of that so it is it has been frustrating for most people who have tried to come to me now the the closest thing the best solution that i've found so far as far as an actual resource that i can provide is an organization called anxiety gaming and they actually have a pretty robust network of gaming-centric therapists. So these are therapists who I would define them as being gamer culture competent, right? Mm-hmm. They understand the the culture. They may be gamers themselves, and they work with other gamers. And so uh, gamers often feel comfortable speaking with them. And so uh, I would go to anxietygaming.com, and they... They will do the best job uh, that I've seen so far that I've ever found of helping you find someone who would resemble, right, uh, what we're talking about here, uh, like having geek culture competence. I also work a lot in hair pulling and skin picking disorders and trying to connect people who uh, might find me through some of the uh, media work I've done but live in a different area and and want to find a therapist in their region and there might not be anyone that I know that is trained in these areas. And so similar to that as well as more geek therapy, one of the things that I often have to encourage people to do is to be assertive and to explain um, to the therapist some of these issues that are important to you. So in in the area of hair pulling and skin picking, it's about um, sharing resources about what this problem is and the treatments for it and all of that with their therapists who might not be aware of this issue. And similar with geek, geek therapy, one of the things I encourage a lot of people to do is if they if they are working with a the therapist they feel comfortable with and who has experience treating the problems that they're they're working on, to explain and share what are these stories that that you care about, and then take the next step to explain. What is it about them that resonates with you so much? How have they impacted you? How have they changed your perspective? What makes you love them so much? Because whenever you share with a therapist, this is something that's very important to me, and here's why, and here's here's how it's impacted my life. Those are things that most therapists should respond to, resonate with, and want to try to understand that better. And if they aren't, that might be a problem. Um, so that's that's the next best thing that I often encourage people to do if they aren't able to find someone as as Josue is describing. Yeah, ideally, you would date, 
before you commit to a therapist. You would go around, you would meet but them. But not like literally, would... as we discussed last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Therapy dating. Right. Heavy go... quotation marks. Right. Trying out different therapists. Yeah. And as much as that is possible. And honestly, in the United States, it's it's so hard. It is very, very hard. And And honestly, a lot of people, it's so hard to even get to the point where you're asking me to find you somebody that you could talk to. Then I'm going and telling you like, yeah, well, you know, on top of that, like try to talk to 10 different people. It's hard. It's hard to find people like I, I get that. And it's but, hard to open you know, up. Yeah. It's hard to have those initial meetings with different people. Yeah. Yeah. To share your story multiple times. Yeah. I think the best thing, you know, always read bios, always read um, stories of uh, or, or media that people have uh, produced, that, that the therapists have produced. And then so you can get an idea of who they are and see if you might click. But uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, people are are definitely seeking them out. Um, but it's it's hard. It's hard. I'm uh, not not clinical uh, stating that. I'm going to state that every episode. <laughs> 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 cover my butt. Um, but in my bachelor's program, I did do um, some hours working with a middle school counselor. And he had me sort of uh, hang out and assist him working with some um, special needs kids. They had a, a different term for it, but it, it was basically kids who had um, behavioral problems and um, and uh, he wanted my assistance specifically because I had said that I was so into games. And he's like, look, these kids don't care about a lot of stuff, but they all care about games. And if you can connect to them over that, mm. then that's going to get them engaged in counseling. Even though I, I wasn't the counselor, I, I was there in that sort of space. And so it made them feel safer in the counseling room and made them feel safer with with the counselor and made them feel safer that adults, you know, a lot of them didn't have very good relationships with their parents or their parents just weren't, you know, around a lot. And so not having an adult to talk to about that kind of stuff and having an adult be all like, oh, yeah, no, video games are cool. And I like that thing that you're, you know, the the cool design you're painting on the side of your race car and, and that stuff. And, and really engaging on that level made them feel like so much more connected to people that, you know, especially if they have issues connecting to people. It's like that was really important. Um, and that's definitely spread over into my other interactions with, you know, teens and children. Um I have not met a kid that doesn't play some sort of game. If that's like actual console or PC games, or if that's just iPhone games, iPad games, you ask a kid what game that they like and their face lights up and they want to show you and they want to show you like how to be good at it and how they learned how to find a shortcut and, and feeling that connection and not having adults sort of turn them down and be all like, oh, that's just kid stuff. Like, go play the game in the corner. I don't care. Having somebody be like, whoa, show me that again. Um, really is a really good way to build community and, and good social bonds and, and make people feel safer and understood. And I think that that's a, a big, important part of therapy. Yeah, I talk about geek therapy and I, I teach it as a mindset not as like a clinical type of practice or something that only therapists can do. And there's a lot of people who, who, who do that and don't necessarily call it that. And it's, it's hard, but uh, I have mixed feelings about, um, I have all sorts of feelings about what direction to take that in. And I've talked to many different people in the past about uh, what we could do to make that easier. But uh, it's just, it's just hard right now. It's unfortunate <laughs> how radical idea this is in therapy uh, it, it's something I work with all of my trainees with, uh, my my graduate students that I um, um, supervise, and always asking that question the first time you meet someone, um, what do you love to do? What do you love to watch? What do you love to play? And what is it about these things that, that you love so much? I, I think that's something we should be asking everyone in the therapy field. And that gets back to some of our conversations in the previous week about not just trying to alleviate what's bad, but also promote what's good. Um, yeah. You know, there's, yeah, it's, 
<sighs> it's hard when for life is really years, hard. It's it's hard when for a hundred years your profession is based on a disease model. Yeah, and, yeah. And asking about you know only focusing on what's wrong. Right, right. So yeah. we're working life on is, it. Life is really hard, and and finding the things that give us joy, I think, sh- deserve more focus than they get. Right, right. So if you want your question answered on the question queue, you go to geektherapy.com slash QQ. That's spelled letter Q, letter Q, <laughs> QQ. QQ. There's a quick little form. Just uh, ask your question like Jamila did, and, and we'll answer it on the show. Thank you, get Jamila. Thank Thanks, you. That was a good question. And we got a few more, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll save them because so, we're running out of time. So let's do our geek therapy segment. Each of us will take either something that uh, has been some sort of power up for us or maybe a suggestion we have for the audience to check out something that uh, means, you know, like geek therapy for us. So, Ali, what do you have? I got a quick one. Um, This week also saw the launch of the SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket. Uh, that was an amazing experience that happened earlier this week. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Falcon Heavy is r- right now the world's most powerful rocket. It took off from um, the historic uh, launch pad that the Apollo Saturn V rocket took off from in Cape Canaveral in Florida uh, in the United States. And um, that was a really amazing thing for me to see, to see a rocket that could launch that could one day take us out of earth orbit i've never seen that in my lifetime to see anything like that launch only in archival footage of the apollo rocket so that was very meaningful to me i've been having discussions with people this week about like what that meant and how elon musk also launched a uh one of his vehicles um into outer space and maybe that's like just like free advertising for him yes i know that's all true and we could have a big discussion about the privatization of of the space industry but um it's also a major amazing uh feat and that um these the two of the three were able to re-land back on earth of the of the main rockets which this technology is going to super drive down the cost of space travel and uh, launching um, stuff in outer space. And all of that is really awesome if you're a space geek. So for me, that video from SpaceX of the launch, big power up for the week. I believe Elon Musk said of launching his cherry red Tesla Roadster with a dummy inside named Starman while blasting space Odyssey <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> I believe he said that if we're going to do this, we might as well make it fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Elon Musk. Which is something you can do in the private sector and a little bit less so in the um, in the government sector. Oh, Elon. Oh, Elon. <laughs> and now this, this car is going to be orbiting um, the Earth and Mars for like the next billion years. According to Elon Musk, yep, a billion years. That is, <laughs> and I think he um, he actually pushed the um, he he pushed it. They had the uh, the fuel to be able to uh, attempt the an orbit of the asteroid belt and Earth. So that's that is uh, amazing. I know, man. I know it's a cool moment. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so freaking cool. <laughs> Laura, what you got? Did did any of you guys play Prey? No. Okay, uh, then I'm not going to comment anymore on that. Um, my power-up for this week is uh, the same thing I talked about earlier. Watch Queer Eye. It, it's good. <laughs> it, it makes me feel good. That's good. That's good. Nice. That, Short and that, sweet. That's what Geek Therapy is, yeah. That's, that's, that's all it needs to be. I, I've been playing two games uh, lately, and they've been making me feel really good for probably like all... I don't know. Like I, this, this company is manipulating me. Uh, Capcom released... Street Fighter Five um, a couple of years ago, and they've kept updating it since. And they started adding these new events, and they added a new event where you would get a costume of a character named Beautiful Joe, which is Beautiful Joe is my probably one of my if not favorite games uh, ever or a game series. And I love the character; he's my mm. avatar on PSN. Like I use him for everything. I, I love it. And so they made a costume so you could dress up, like you could be a Street Fighter character dressed as Beautiful Joe, which is <laughs> crazy. So mm. I, I bought Street Fighter just so I could 
do this crossover <laughs> event and get the the costume. And I've been doing the event every week to finally actually get the costume, and I I did it today, and I was I was so happy. Woo. But this idea of like a crossover of mixing my favorite things together. Um, they got me a couple of weeks ago with Street Fighter V, and then they got me again with a game called Monster Hunter, the same company, and they did another crossover <laughs> where you could have Street Fighter characters in your Monster Hunter game. So like, oh, I can yes. be dressed up as Ryu. That could be my armor set. And I can just like Shoryuken and Hadouken uh, monsters in the game now with, with a cat companion. But it's it's like... It makes me so happy <laughs> to be able to do stupid stuff like that. They also did a crossover with another game. So I've, I did that event first, called, uh, a game called Horizon. It's like I can dress up my little cat guy like a little robot dinosaur. Oh, it is, it is incredible. I don't know. There's something about like that um, like abusing of my nostalgia. Uh, <laughs> I hate it, but I love it. I love it. I love it so much. You know, Capcom's always been great at the crossovers. Yeah, um, the yeah. original Street Fighter versus X Men, and then Street Fighter versus Marvel, Street Fighter versus SNK, um, or Capcom versus SNK. Yeah, they, they have they, they have enough crossovers now on these two games for the next couple months that I th- I'm guaranteed to play them every week, at least even just a little bit, just to check in and do the required things so I can have all this um, digital garbage. Oh, I'm so happy about it. <laughs> it's ch- oh man, it's been so good. All right, so that's it for this week's episode of GT Radio. Um, next week, we've got a big episode coming. Yeah, so next week, it's all Black Panther. All Black <sighs> Panther. That's all it is. It. I'm reading the comics now. Um, we're just It's just going to be all Black Panther. We'll all see it before we record next week. And yeah, oof, I, I cannot wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about this movie <sighs> with all of you. I cannot wait for, for many different reasons. Yeah, so next week it's Black Panther. So for more episodes of Geek Therapy or other shows on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network, visit geektherapy.com. We're at Geek Therapy on Twitter. And our handles on Twitter are Ali is at Ali Matu. Lauren is at Chicken Dinosaur. I am at Josue A. Cardona. And all information about everything we talk about or how to reach us, including the question queue and how to spell it, is all in the show notes. <laughs> and Laura will be back next week. And Laura will be back next Yay. week to talk Black Panther. All right. So be back next week. Bye. Bye. You've just listened to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month at our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash geektherapy.